everything's for sale, there's got to be the right price. And he lived by that. He was willing to sell anything if somebody offered the right amount of money. My dad uh, competes and hunts uh, with beagles. I mean, probably right now at his house, he has more than 100 dogs at his house, and they're all for sale. It's just got to be the right price. Uh, you know, my dad is what they call dog famous. Uh, he's in the AKC Hall of Fame, kind of a big deal. Um, he actually had a dog at one point that was on the cover of the printed dog food bag for over a year. But he sold it because everything's for sale as long as it's the right price. My dad is just willing to buy and sell anything. In fact, my 12-year-old uh, birthday, he got me my very first shotgun that belonged to me, this Remington 870 20-gauge pump. And in that season of life, I loved to hunt, especially with my dad and my family. And uh, it was like my, my prized possession. Like I was 15, and we were going hunting together as a family, and I went in to get my shotgun and it wasn't there. I went out to dad. I said, dad, where's my shotgun? He goes, ah, I forgot to tell you. I traded it for a dog. You're a part owner of a dog. Well, I don't know if you've ever had one of your birthday gifts traded by your parent. Uh, it's not a great experience. The good news is um, through a lot of counseling, I've worked through a lot of those hurts and wounds. But for my dad, everything is for sale. We had this horse when I was young for three or four years. Her name was Lady, and she was a Tennessee walking horse. And during the summer, I would saddle her and ride her all day long. And one day I came home from school, Lady's no longer at the house because everything's for sale and my dad sold our horse. And it, it was a few weeks later, I saw my dad pulling up the driveway with a horse trailer. And I thought, oh, dad got us a new horse. And so I went outside with my neighbor, Mike Devers, and we were so excited. I said, dad, you got us a horse? He goes, yeah, I got us a great horse. So I looked back in the horse trailer and this horse was breathing heavy and stomping its feet and kicking. And I said, dad, she seems a little wild. And he said, well, we're going to have to break her. And when he said, we're going to have to break her, what he meant was, I'm going to put you on the back of it. We're going to see what happens. <laughs> that was his strategy for breaking a horse. So we finally got the horse out of the trailer and we fought a bit into her mouth and put a bridle on her, got a saddle on her. And he looked at my neighbor, Mike Devers. Now, Mike was four years older than me. Mike was six foot three in the sixth grade. Currently, Mike has an eight and a quarter size head, just a monster of a kid, even a bigger man. And he looked at Mike and he said, all right, Mike, get up there. And Mike would do whatever my dad told him to do. So he jumped on the back of this horse. My dad was holding it. He said, hey, when I let go, no matter what, don't let go. And Mike said, I got it. And my dad let go of this horse. And immediately this horse jumped up on its back feet and landed right on Mike with all of its weight right on his back. The horse wallowed up and, and walked away. And Mike laid there lifeless. It seemed like minutes, it was probably seconds, just didn't move. And finally he took a, a breath and he said, oh, he's alive. And with no hesitation, my dad looked at me and said, all right, your turn, Andrew. <laughs> well, the moments, I was looking at my dad like, are you, are you being serious? You know, he said it in a tone where I thought he was being serious. And I don't know if you've had one of those moments before, maybe where someone says something to you and it seems like they're being serious, but there's no way they are really serious about what they're saying. You know, you know, frequently as I read through the teachings of Jesus, I'm asking myself the same question. Is Jesus really serious about that? Because Jesus says some things that are just outlandish, things that seem unrealistic, things that seem harsh, and sometimes he seems so broad and so full of grace. And I often leave wondering, was Jesus really serious about that? Over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at some of those things that Jesus said, and we're going to ask that question, what if Jesus was really serious about that? And the thing that we're going to look at today 
as we read it, we're going to find out that this is one of Jesus' most difficult statements. In fact, in our culture today, in some ways, it may be considered hate speech because it seems so narrow and so exclusive. And we're going to have to ask ourselves the question, was Jesus really serious when he said that? In John chapter 14, um, Jesus is spending time with his, with his friends, his disciples. They're sharing a meal together, and it's not just any meal, it's a familiar meal. It was a holiday called the Passover, and every year you would get together with your friends or family, and you would remember how God had been faithful in the past. This was a meal that Jesus and his disciples had, had participated in their entire lives, and now it's just them in this room, and they're sharing it together, except the tone of this evening feels a little bit different, because Jesus is talking a lot about the end of his life, that in a few days he's going to be gone, and he's not going to be with them anymore, and there's just a heaviness and a weight in the room, which led to one of Jesus' friends asking this very logical question. He says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus, you're talking a lot about leaving and going to this place, and you're saying that we're going to be with you there one day, but we don't even know where that's at, and how are we going to make sure that we can be there with you? You know, this is not something that we often think a lot about, what happens to us after we die. After we take that last breath, what happens? It's not something that we think frequently about, because we're busy, we got our careers and our life, and we got kids, and we don't slow down long enough to really process that, except maybe at a funeral when a friend or a family member passes away and we're looking at their lifeless body and we, we process and think, where are they and will I see them again? Maybe as we age or we get a diagnosis and we think about our own fragility and we, we think about how short life really is. Maybe in those moments we think about what's happening next, but, but for most of us, we never slow down and think about it. It's a strange thing that we just completely avoid because all of us are going to come to an end in our lives. We're going to take our last breath and we need to process what's going to happen. Is it just going to be black? Life comes to an end or is there something else? And how do we get there? And that's the tone of this question. Jesus, we want to see you again, so what do we have to do? And Jesus responds this way. He answers, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. You know, much of Jesus' ministry, he disguised and held back who he really was. He, he wasn't quick to reveal that he was the Son of God, that he was... God himself, but in these last moments of his life, he reveals fully who he is and he says, you're looking for the way? Well, I am the way. P prior to this moment, the way for people to find their way back to God required following a lot of rules. In the Jewish tradition, there were 613 different rules that you had to follow precisely and no one was able to do that. And so when you fell short, you were required to go to the temple, take an animal, and sacrifice it as kind of a substitute for your punishment. So this meant the fire at the temple was constantly burning, and people were coming and going because no one could measure up. And now Jesus shows up and says, I'm the new way. I'm going to be the final sacrifice. I'm going to be your substitute 
No longer will you have to work and strive and make sure you follow all these rules. Instead, you just have to put your faith in me. I am the new path. And for some of us, we need to hear that because we're working and striving and we're hoping that maybe in our best effort, in our church attendance, in our generosity, that somehow that will be enough. And Jesus makes it really clear. I am the path. It's through submitting your life completely to me. And and of these three things that Jesus says, the second one seems to be the most challenging, especially in our culture, because Jesus says, I'm the source of truth. There is no truth outside of me. And we live in a context when truth seems like it's subjective. You determine your truth and I'll determine my truth and you do whatever feels right for you and I'll do what feels right for me. We live in a time there's so much misinformation, regardless of what news network you watch, you have to ask yourself the question, did this really happen or is this just spin and their perspective? With all the new AI stuff coming out, we don't even know if pictures are real or or videos are real anymore. And so we're asking ourselves, well, what is truth? And Jesus comes along and says, I am the source of all truth. You are not the source of truth. If you wanna know who you are and who you were created by and what your identity is and what your purpose is, it can only be found in me. And truth is just truth. A few months ago, we added a family to our small group here at the church. JR and his wife started attending and they had been there a couple times. And at the end of one of our small groups, uh, someone said, hey, Andrew, you wanna go play some ping pong? And JR unprovoked says, oh, I would kill you in ping pong. I was like, I Back up there a little bit, you know? Because <laughs> there's not many things that, that I'm good at. Um, but there are some things that I like. Man, I'm just, I'm good at this. I, I probably glance around this room and say with a lot of confidence. Feel pretty good about the statement. I can hit a golf ball further than anyone in this room. I just, I can say that with a lot of confidence. God just gifted me that way. I can tell y'all didn't like that statement, but it's just true, and truth <laughs> is truth. I had this other gift, it's almost supernatural, where like I can look at a menu, first time I've ever been in a restaurant, I could pick out the best entree. Every single time, it's just the Holy Spirit has empowered me to do that. It's incredible. The other thing, I'm really confident, I am just really good at ping pong. When I was young, the, the worship pastor here at, at the church had like a national ranking. I mean, travel around, played in all these competitive tournaments, and we would play together hours and hours at a time. And since then, like nobody ever beats me in ping pong. And here comes JR under my roof. I make statements like that in front of my family, right? My kids are standing there. They've never seen me get beat. They're like, oh, dad, did you already said. I was like, okay. I say that in my family. All right, we'll see what happens. And so I said, how about next time we have small group, bring your paddle. Let's play a little ping pong. Well, I hadn't played a whole lot. So those two weeks leading up to it, I was practicing my backhand and forehand. I got my paddle all cleaned up. And here comes time for small group. And JR shows up with his paddle in some sort of holster. I was like, oh, look at this kid. <laughs> Gotta holster that thing, huh? So I said, hey, everybody, come on downstairs. I want the whole small group to see this. I want my kids to see it. Nobody's gonna talk to me that way. He beat me like a drum. <laughs> I mean, over and over again. Truth is just truth. He said, you can't beat me, and he was right. I didn't like the truth, but it just was true. That's how truth operates, it's just truth. Three plus three equals six, you can want it to be four, or you could say it's 10, but it's six. That's how truth works. 
And Jesus says, I am the source of truth. Shortly after this, he was hanging on a cross, dying. And his body was put in a grave. And three days later, his body goes missing. And all of history agrees on these things, that there was a historical person named Jesus, that he gathered a group of people who followed his teachings, that he died a public death, he was put in a grave, and his body went missing three days later. And many of us, most of us probably in this room, believe that he came back to life. And we believe that because there were a group of people who claimed to see him alive again. They didn't just claim that, they were willing to die for that. Many of the followers of Christ died horrible deaths, boiled alive, cut in two, their heads cut off, crucified, upside down, not because of a teaching they heard, but because they said, we saw our friend die and he came back to life again and we're not gonna stop talking about it. In fact, the siblings of Jesus did not believe he was who he said he was when he was living. But then after he came back to life, they started believing in him. In fact, James, his brother, wrote a book in the New Testament. And we have to ask ourselves the question, what would it take to convince you that your sibling was the son of God? You would have to see him die and come back to life. That is the only thing that could possibly happen. So, so the choices are, I either believe that Jesus came back to life or I have to believe there was a group of people that stole his body and decided they were gonna commit to this lie even to the point of death. But if you believe that Jesus came back to life, and that is the question of Easter, what do you believe happened to the dead body of Jesus? If you believe that he is the son of God and he came back to life three days later, then he is who he said he was, and he is the source of all truth. And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. Everything you're looking for, everything that you're searching for can only be found in me. In fact, Jesus said this in John chapter 10, verse 10. He said, I have come that they may have life and have life to its fullest amount. And Jesus shows up and says, I want you to experience everything this life has to offer. Here at Grace, we say we're all about helping ordinary lives become extraordinary stories. We're convinced that God doesn't make average, ordinary people, but if we're not careful, we'll settle into average, ordinary existences, and we'll wake up, and we'll go to work, and we'll get our kids where they need to go. We'll watch a little Netflix, and then we'll just hit repeat day after day, and God created us for so much more than that. Ephesians 2.10 says you're God's workmanship. You were created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God prepared for you in advance, God created you to do something great for him. And Jesus said, I am the source of life. And the next statement Jesus makes is so challenging and difficult. It's so narrow. It's so harsh. And we have to ask the question, was Jesus really serious about this? Because this is what Jesus says. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. The two words that are so challenging are no one. There's no path to heaven. There's no path to God unless it goes through 
bending your knee to me, surrendering your life to me. And this is so narrow. This is so harsh. And we have to ask the question, was Jesus really serious about, about no one? Several years ago, I uh, went to a UK, North Carolina basketball game. And when I was going towards Rupp, instead of turning right and going into the main parking lot, I decided to go left and go up a few streets over and look for some cheaper parking. And I, I did that. I, I found somebody who was standing on the road with an orange vest, and he was motioning people to come in. I said, how much is parking? And he said, it's $10. I said, that sounds like a great deal. I gave him my $10. He said, just go down the driveway. There'll be somebody there that will help you. And so I went down the driveway. Another guy in an orange vest, and he's just packing in cars as tight as possible. So I went to the game, and then I went back to my car afterwards. And as I was getting closer to where I parked, I could hear a commotion. There were people that were loud and frustrated. I walked in the backyard. All the cars were gone. Like 40 people standing around like, where is our, our car? And people were making calls. Eventually, someone called the police and found out that all of our cars had been towed. And they said, we're going to have to go down to Manchester Street to get our cars. Later found out, it was a couple of homeless guys. who just got a couple orange vests and just said, come on this way. You go right there. They had a pretty good day that day. So we're all walking down to the tow place and everybody's kind of telling their story. We're all frustrated. We get down, we walk into the tow place. There's a guy standing behind the glass and this first guy walks up and he says, hey, I need to get my car. The guy said, let me see your ID. Hand him his ID. He looked at it and he did some work and he said, yep, it'll be $188. He said, no, 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 you don't understand. Like we're, we're all victims here. We, we, we parked somewhere we thought we could park. We actually paid for it. Someone parked us. And the guy said, listen, man, it's $188. And the guy said, well, you're not hearing the story. And so he explained everything again. And the guy said, hey, you can keep telling me the same story, but if you want your car, it's $188. Eventually, the guy gave him his credit card and kind of grumbled and complained. The next person that walks up the window was, was a mother with a young child. She said, sir, I'm a single mom. We, we won these tickets in a raffle. I don't have $188. I said, if you want your car, it's $188. She said, I don't have that kind of money. I'm going to put it on a credit card. I don't know how I'm going to pay that off. And the guy said, if you want your car, it's $188. So she eventually gave him the money. And then the third dude, he came in a little bit more aggressive. He said, listen, I'm a veteran. I fought for this country. And every day, I regret it because of people like you. And the guy says, $188, please. <laughs> I was the fourth person. I just walked up the window and I said, I'm assuming there is nothing I could say or do. And the guy said, nope. And so I just handed my credit card. What this guy was saying is, no one is getting their car unless you give me $188. You keep telling me your stories. You can give me excuses. Nobody, no one is getting their car. And this is what I think a lot of us approach God with the same way. But God, what if, what if I'm a really good person? Like, what if I'm kind and I'm generous and Jesus says, no, it's no one. It's not through your efforts and your work. But what if I have a sincere heart and I'm kind and I'm better than the majority? No one. This is the question we have to wrestle with. Was Jesus really serious when he said, there is no path to heaven except through surrendering our life to him? And this is so narrow, but this is what Jesus said. And in the same book, Jesus said something that's so broad and so inclusive. Jesus says this in John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever, 
Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus uses this word that's so broad. Everyone is included in whoever. And he said, whoever puts their faith in me will have a secure place in heaven. This word is so broad. You know, among our staff, we have um, a group message that we all kind of communicate with each other to. Because often we need help with things, we need the staff to know about something, and so that is our shared form of communication. And often we need help with stuff, and that's how we request help. And this week has been one of those weeks. Uh, With Easter coming up, we've been reading the Bible from beginning to end, starting on Wednesday, and we concluded last night, 80 straight hours with volunteers, many of you all participating in that. But it had a lot of staff hours, and we needed help, and so often we would communicate if we needed help. With Easter coming up, and yesterday we had an Easter egg hunt. We had more than 15,000 Easter eggs. And so when we request something, it usually has some sort of qualifier. And the most general is whoever. You know, like, whoever is in the building, can you unlock the front door? Just any warm body, go unlock the door. Dean's been working this week on our production to make sure the, the lights were the right level. And he said, hey, whoever is downstairs, can you come and stand on the stage for a second? Just anybody. If you're breathing and you can stand up, we need your help. Just stand here. Whoever is so broad. The the next level down is when we say, I need someone. Someone indicates not all, but some of you all would qualify for this. Like, like this week, Jade says, I need someone who is strong to help me lift something. Now, on our staff, we got some big kids. I mean, Jimmy Roper, our small group pastor, that's a big boy back there. Our small group pastor, Jeff, Jeff's a big fellow. We grow him big here at Grace. When I read that, I think I, probably I'm included in someone who is, who's strong. You know who's someone that does not pertain to? Oh, slip this Dan over here. Oh, bad back Daniel. He's in his office and he reads that and he goes, yep, that's not me. He puts his phone down. Yes, it's just someone, not everybody. I know when someone on our staff says, I need someone who can proofread something for me. They're not talking about me. English is the only language I speak and I'm, I'm really not great at it. Frequently, I'm typing in a document, and I'll misspell a word. I'll have the little red squiggly line, and it'll say, no suggestion available. Then my computer's saying, I have no clue what you're trying to type right now. I'll delete the whole thing, and I'll just mix it up. I'll just try some different letters. And it'll go, I still have no clue what you're talking about. This week, I was walking down the hallway, and, I, and Dan was talking to my buddy Gabe, who's a professor at UK. And I don't know why, I just had this thought, and I said, Hey, can you, what's the difference between substance and substance? And Dan thought for a second, he said, well, substance just means like specific matter. Substance, that's not even a word. And I was like, really? And he said, are you trying to say sustenance? And I was like, I'm questioning everything I've said my whole life at this point. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is when they say, I need someone to proofread, that's not me. The most specific thing is when we say, 
you're the one that could do this. We have a finance question. Tracy, you're the only one that can handle it. We're doing a video. We need something funny. We need somebody, a guy to take his shirt off. Brent, you're the one, right? You're the only one that can do this. And Jesus chooses a word and he says, whoever, whoever, whoever will put their faith in me, there will be a place in heaven for you. Every one of us in this room are a whoever. And I know we come with our list of exceptions, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know how unfaithful I've been over and over and over again. You don't know how much I've messed up everything in life. And Jesus would say, well, that's a whoever. If you'll just put your faith in me, I will rescue you. I will extend grace and mercy to you. I will forgive you of everything you've done. I'll call you a son and a daughter. Whoever will put their faith in me. And for some of us, today could be that day where you start this brand new journey of faith where you could say, I'm ready to put my faith in Christ. I believe he is who he said he was. It doesn't mean all of our questions are answered or we no longer have any doubts or we're not still struggling along. It just means we take that first step of faith of saying, I believe Jesus is who he said he was. And if you'll just receive him in your life, He'll secure a place for you in heaven. Can we just take a moment and just bow our heads and close our eyes? And I, and I would love to pray this morning with, with anyone.